Good morning, everyone. Welcome to those who are here for the first time this morning. It's always interesting to see new faces every Sunday, but I trust that the Lord, he um, knows those that are his and those that he brings and those that come to visit, at least they get to hear God's word and God's truth. Those who decide to stay, at least they get filled and are content to be sitting at the same table that we eat as a family. So I thank God for every Sunday, every day when we get together in his name to listen to his words and to his truth. Let's just bow our heads in prayer and let's pray as the Lord leads us this morning into his word that he would speak to our hearts and speak to our lives. And if you're here for the first time, I encourage you to truly and honestly seek the Lord because it's not um, by chance that you've come this morning. However you've made your way to this place, it is by God's divine intervention. And those of you who are here for the first time, I want you to seek the Lord and say, Lord God, why have you brought me here this morning? Those of you who have come often, continue to seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, what is it you want to speak to me? And God does not send you back empty. He always fills you, you know. When, when people went to the, to the mountains to listen to the words of Jesus, he fed them. And he didn't send them back empty. And as you come tonight, maybe at the, the foot of the mountain, he's not going to send you back empty. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning because you are the words of eternal life. It is through you that we live and breathe and everything that makes sense in this world is only through you. I pray, Father, that as we sit here today, this morning, at your feet, that you would make yourself known to us in a very special and intimate way as you do. That we may truly say that we saw your face this morning. And when we leave, that we leave transformed and changed. Not the same people that we were when we entered, but we, we learned something that would transform and convert our heart into a deeper, intimate relationship with you. And we give you this morning, I pray you cast the devil out and every distraction away from this place this morning. Open our hearts and our ears to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to share with you this morning on the intimacy of God, on the intimacy of God. My sons last night were asking me, they asked me a question and they said to me, Dad, do you think that um, there is anyone who's not insecure? Do you think anyone's not insecure? Is there anyone who's not insecure? And straight away, I didn't really think much about it because straight away my response was, nah, everybody's insecure. It's what we're the way we are, you know. In fact, the word insecure is a pretty interesting word because it's saying you're insecure. It should be like unsecure or, you know. But we all are insecure one way or another, right? I don't know. I think we are because there's an element in us, part of our, na our nature, our carnality, this is the element of pride that, that we all want to live, and this aspect of wanting to live brings about serious insecurities. 
And if you like, the opposite of being insecure, I think, is to be intimate. To be intimate. Because when someone is familiar with someone and they know them really, really well and they also are known by them really, really well and they're really, really close and they have this intimacy, the less insecure they are. Is that right? It's like relationships, that's how it is. And I think the greatest security has to be an intimacy with God. When you just know Him and you know that He knows you, I think you stop becoming insecure. You don't worry too much about what people think of you. You don't worry about what others say because you know Him. And the intimacy with God is so profound that it transforms and changes any form of frailty in your character and any form of weakness in your personality. You're no longer absorbed in yourself because you know the one who you serve and the one who you're intimate with. The intimacy of God is so wonderful and so profound for the Christian that if you understood it, you would leave all your relationships and friendships and, 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 and affairs and whatever it is that you go seeking for some security. And you find yourself secure in the one who is most intimate with you. You know that the Bible is all about, from the very beginning to the, to the end, is all about the intimacy with God. If you read carefully the chapters in Genesis chapter 2, it's about the intimacy with God. How God wants to be intimate with His people. In the intimacy with God, there is freedom. Listen to some of these verses that you'll find in chapter 2. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. How intimate do you want in creation to be? Literally put his mouth in his nose and he breathed. How more intimate of a picture do you want when you start reading the salvation and the plan of God? He breathed into our nostrils and we became living souls. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Man should not be alone. How intimate. And there's just, just the first two chapters in the book of Genesis. See, when you're alone, it's a place of insecurity. When you feel like you're just, just, you know, no one gets you, it's very insecure. And you start being paranoid and you start questioning and doubting friendships, relationships, what they said, what did they mean? Did they really mean that? Did you hear that comment? You know what I'm talking about. It's insecurity because you feel alone. No one gets you. But God said it's not good for people to be alone. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up, placed with flesh. He took one of his ribs, the closest part to my heart he took. And then he made something closer to my heart, a woman. How intimate. He took it with his own fingers. He touched it. Most of God's creation was spoken into existence. But when it came to man, he touched it. 
It's the intimacy of God. This is how intimate God wants to be with us. It's profound to me. And that's why Adam says, this is bone of my bone and she's flesh of my flesh. It's intimate. She can't get anything closer than this. And God orchestrated it from the start, his intimacy, and he moved it into man and their intimacy because life is about this security in all that God has created when it comes to intimacy. There's a beautiful verse, I don't know if you've ever read it, uh, where Isaac is, the Bible calls it sporting. Sporting Rebecca. Sporting means basically um, showing intimate affection, caressing her, embracing her, loving her. All the romantics would love this verse because the Bible doesn't shy away from intimacy. But this is how God ordained it. And this is how God ordained it for us to be with him. What does it mean to experience intimacy with God? It means this, that we are never alone that we are never alone. See, Jesus said this, do you now believe? Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed, and it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own house, and will leave me alone. This is the man, Jesus Christ, who took upon his own body, the same body that you and I carry. And he knew what loneliness was and he knew what it is to be intimate with his father and to be intimate with people. He goes, but the time's going to come where you guys are going to leave me. And you're going to leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the father is with me. I am not alone. You can all leave and scatter and do what you want to do, but I am not alone because the Father is with me. Imagine that confidence that the whole world goes against you, but you are not alone because God is with you. And imagine, imagine that you actually believed this and experienced this and knew this for yourself personally, how wonderful your life would be and how powerful you would walk in him. Almost sounds like it would solve every problem you have with people, wouldn't it? <laughs> I am not alone. I'm with God. Who can be against me when God is for me? This is the intimacy that we have with God. For the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Why? Because in the world there is much tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world. How good's that? <laughs> the intimacy of God, you are in me. Hey, listen, and I've overcome the world. So don't fear. Don't fear. He that understands this, this intimacy with God, honestly, harnesses their desires, their emotions, and the world. God is for them, not against them. I don't know if you remember 
this aspect of intimacy even occurred in the most deepest, darkest part of Christ's ministry on the cross. And because it's not good for man to be alone, even when his mother stood before the cross, weeping and crying for her son, he made sure that he did not leave her alone. And he tells one of his disciples, this is your mum. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Because God knows it's not good for people to be alone. It's the intimacy that God has made. In fact, if you want to read, and I'll get you to turn to this, Psalm 139, there is no greater psalm that talks about the intimacy of God than this, I think. Psalm 139, read this with me. Verse 17. This psalm is so rich that honestly, I've attempted to memorize it a few times and I've always failed miserably. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Now listen, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. I'm not alone. Your thoughts of me are as grand and as many as the sand of the sea. When I'm awake, you are with me. I'm not alone. This is the intimacy we have with our God. Read, read the whole chapter. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It almost makes God sound human. <laughs> Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. It's intimate. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from a distance, you search my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted, you are familiar with all my ways. This is the intimacy. So you're secure in this. This this makes sense to those who walk in the Spirit and not trust in the things of the world or the flesh. You you, you know my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue in verse 4, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't even attain it. It just doesn't make sense to me. When I'm reading this, I I feel like the writer. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense to me. Where can I go from your spirit? I'm not alone. Where can I go? If I were to flee from your presence, if I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to hell, you, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand is going to lead me and your right hand is going to hold me. It just won't leave me alone. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. Listen. You knitted, you knitted, you know when you knit, you knit, knit requires like, you know, very detailed, you know, it's, it's not like a, 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 a sloppy kind of a construction, it's a very detailed, intricate, 
and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's very intimate. I praise you because I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Every part of me, every area of my heart, my mind, everything about me, you made, you put it together. And what I love is this, is, and it goes, and my soul, my soul, it knows this very well. This is the security, you see. My soul knows this very well. Not my head, not my heart, my being knows this very well. This is the freedom for every Christian if they were to believe in a God who is powerful and able. My soul knows very well. Yet very, very few people discover this intimacy, unfortunately. Most people are seeking intimacy in, 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 in humans, in people, in friendships and relationships. Sadly enough, where God is the greatest, this intimacy, even among Christians, is failed to be understood. Even among people who go to church day in, day out and pray and read their Bible, still fail to understand the intimacy of God. It is like this. How many disciples did Jesus have? Why 12? Have you ever thought about why 12? There's a lot of reasons. But the one I like particularly is the fact that when Jesus sent them out, he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out in twos. It's an even number. Because it's not good for them to be alone. He knew they needed the support, the strength, like you and I need. Because if it was 11, which one would be left out? But it was 12. Beautiful. He shows us we need intimacy. We need strength, support. We need this. And God knows. But did you know, among the 12 disciples, if you read carefully, there were three. Listen. Three. Peter, James, and John. And if you want to look at intimacy, study them carefully. Peter, James, and John. And I like looking at these guys because I reckon if I was to be one of the disciples, I don't want to be definitely Judas, but I definitely want to be either James, Peter, or John. Why? Because every time you read the story in the life of Jesus, whenever he wanted to teach something deep, real, wonderful, in fact, Whenever he wanted to be intimate, it was those three he called. It's extraordinary. For example, the transfiguration. One of the most extraordinary events that ever happened in the life of Jesus. When his body transformed to the glory of God. And no one's ever seen the Son of God transform like this. He called upon those three to come and see this. Beautiful, man. It reminds me of a church where only three or a few actually get it. And God reveals, you know, like he's speaking from the pulpit. There's the 12 disciples, but there's only those three who understand this. And they see it for themselves, you understand? There's another time where Jarius, and I spoke about Jarius at Easter, where uh, the daughter was dying. And it was those three he took into that room. So they can see for themselves the power of God. 
They could see it for themselves. They saw the transfiguration, the, the healing, the miracles. It's extraordinary. This is intimate. You can't get closer to Jesus than this. You understand? And then there was the Garden of Gethsemane. And among all the disciples, he chose those three. And those three, he took aside. Listen. And they got to see his pain. They got to see his suffering. They got to see his death dying inwardly. They got to see that. And this is the part where most Christians don't like, you see. They all want to be intimate or they all want to know God, you know. But not the part where he reveals his sufferings and his pains and in our lives, in our trials, in our hardships. But you never get to see the resurrection unless you see his death, you know. But this is intimate. The most intimate that you and I ever get to experience Christ is in all his fullness, in his love, in his goodness, in his grace, in his power, in his miracles, but also in some pain, some pain, some suffering. Like when someone comes and they hurt you, God says, I'm for you, not against you, hold on to me. But rarely does anyone want to be intimate now with God. Rarely does anyone want to enter the Garden of Gethsemane like you know, James and we want to sleep when we're given that opportunity. It's intimacy. See, God is being intimate. You know, God does that in our lives all the time. If you watch, listen carefully. He's drawing us to be more and more deeply intimate with him. He shares more and more of his life and his heart with us in situations, trials, hardships, more and more of his spirit. He does this in every way he can do it in our lives daily. Like one day, one of my sons, I can't remember exactly which son and what the situa situation is now, but I remember one of them was taken to hospital in a, a serious condition. So we got into the car, we drove to the hospital, and I had to um, find parking. We get the Royal, uh, Royal Children's, and I'm looking around for parking. And it wasn't a good situation. This was like, you know, serious. We had to get the kid into emergency, but I couldn't find parking. So I told my wife, you know, you get out, just go, take him, and I'll look for parking, and I'll come. As soon as she gets out of the car, she runs down the, the, the driveway where the ambulance goes to, because she gets to the ambulance. As soon as she did that, a guy pulls out just right in front, you know. It was like, wow, thank you, Lord. So then I turn, chuck a yui, and I park it. And I said, thank you, Lord, thank you so much. My wife had gone, she disappeared in the distance, and I'm getting out of the car, and I realize, hang on, I've got no money to put in the meter. I said, oh, what do I do? Just go, maybe get a fine, you know, toss him the idea out, maybe just leaving the car like that, you know. And then this thought came to me while I was looking through a review mirror, and there's people walking past. Get outside, they'll give you money. It's like a silly thought. Just go outside, they'll give you money. So I go outside. I look at my meter. I look at them. They look at me and I say, hey, you need money? <laughs> I don't know. What is that? I don't get it. Is that intimacy? 
is that God revealing himself to me? Like, I'm not telling you I hear from God, but I do know that God works. He works and he's working in people's lives to draw closer to him. Just, just last two weeks ago, when we did the Easter service, after the Easter service, I want to share this with you, I've shared it with some of you, after the Easter service, I was blessed in my heart, you know, I was like at peace and at rest, and um, got into the car, took my two boys ready to go home, and I noticed a text message from my, one of my sons saying, Dad, the car doesn't work. And what had happened was my son's funds and accounts are somewhere and he didn't have access to them and he didn't have money. So I said to him, here, take my card. <coughs> you can use that. So it's all good. I had my card, which had very limited funds. And I gave him my main card, which had more funds. So take that and all good. But I noticed in my text message, he said, Dad, the card doesn't work. And he needed the money. So I said, oh, Okay. So I said, I'll transfer <coughs> money from my account. And I ha- only had a hundred something. <coughs> I'm not a rich man, but no. <coughs> so I only had a hundred and something. I only had a hundred and something. And I said, that's okay. I'll transfer a hundred. So I transferred a hundred into his account. I realized when I got to the petrol station, I pulled out the petrol hose to it in and I started to fill up my car and I'm filling up my car and I stopped like this thought hang on I just gave my son a hundred dollars I only got a hundred and something because I thought the card that I gave him was still with me and I didn't have that I forgot that he actually had that card so all I had was the something that's all I had and I filled I've, I've just filled my car like I've just and I quickly stopped. I go, now I'm stuck. I thought, well, how do I get out of this one? But I know that God has always got me out of these situations before, somehow, miraculously. But I thought, this one, how am I going to get out of this one? Am I going to leave my car here? Am I going to leave my ki- kids here? And I'll say, I'll go get money? Like, how am I going to get out of this? Then a thought came to me and says, look, look at your, um, your account. So there I was with the hose, like waiting at the petrol station. It's, it's, still, it's still in the car, but I'm not touching it. And look into your account. And <clears throat> I did. So I'm, I'm going to my account, and I go, maybe there's, maybe there's money, you know. Maybe I can at least fill it up. And I look, and I go, I don't know if you can see. That's why the best seat in the house is the front row, guys, anyway. That's five dollars and eighty-three cents in my bank account. I thought, oh, five dollars and eighty-three cents. And then the thought came: look at the petrol tank. And I look at the petrol tank. There's five dollars and eighty-three cents. Five dollars and eighty-three cents. So I don't know, man. I don't know, but I believe God is intimate, and I believe God He works in lives like this, to reveal his beauty, his, his, his security in our lives, in our hearts, in our, in our trials, in our hardships, in our tribulations. And that's where our security comes from. Now, 
Let me share with you, because we've broken the, the disciples down, you know, to the three. But the security that one finds in Christ is so rich and so wonderful that you and I end up having our own personal, intimate relationship with Christ as though Jesus is my best friend and I'm his only best friend. There's a difference. See, there was one disciple who every time you read about him, he remains unnamed. But every time you read, you always read things like this. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Have you read that before? One of them whom Jesus loved. And you think that's quite interesting. Um, I thought Jesus loved all his disciples. What does that mean? And then you read things like, then Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast on his heart, on his chest. He heard the heartbeat of Jesus. How intimate can you be? And said, Lord, who is the one who is to betray you? Can you imagine? Jesus in the Last Supper, it's the last hour. He's desperately wanting to have this last meal with his disciples. Very anxious, very, very uh, loving, you know, and there is one of his disciples, the head is on his chest. He's hearing the heartbeat of Jesus at this particular time. There's the intimacy. And the one who has his chest is the one that's claimed to be the disciple whom Jesus loves. And you keep reading. You keep reading this. Uh, then Peter turning around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also leaned on his breast. And to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, he said to him, who is this disciple? Well, funnily, funnily enough, <laughs> the person who's saying these things, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is John himself in his gospel. The others don't write that in their gospel. But John, when he writes about himself, he doesn't mention his name, but he's letting you know he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that this testimony is true. This is John talking about himself. What's beautiful about this intimacy is this. Jesus, so John, is telling you that Jesus loved him. That's all that mattered. Jesus loved him. And if you read the letters of John, those letters are so profound with love, 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 that John gets it. He gets it. And I wonder if you and I could say, I am the one whom he loves. Because we know God loves everyone. But no, listen, really, I'm the one whom he loves. Like, like my relationship with Jesus is as though you guys don't even exist. He loves me. Can you imagine? I don't know if you, if you ever read carefully, but do you, you know, sometimes it's almost like he has a dig at Peter. You know? He talks about Peter. He says, but the one whom Jesus loved, 
It's almost like he knows. He knows Jesus loved him. It's the same with the intimacy of God. It's so individual. It's so personalized. It's so beautifully, wonderfully catered just for you. That's the intimacy. That's the relationship we have with Jesus. It's not religious. It's not church going. It's a personal account of the love of God for you. Not for everyone. You don't need to go telling the world God loves you. You can tell the world God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And I'll finish with these. That's why in the book of Revelation, it says in chapter 22, verse 17, and we've looked from the beginning of Genesis, the intimacy of God. We've looked at the cross of Christ as the intimacy of God. And then in the book of Revelation, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come, come to the living springs. Jesus said this, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. At that day, at that day, listen, you will know that I am in my Father, very intimate, and you in me, very intimate, and I in you. I love Christ. I hate religion. I hate church going. I hate theology. But I love Jesus because he's intimate. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If you humble yourself before the Lord this morning, doesn't matter who you are, God brought you here. And God's making himself known to you. And the ones that actually benefit from this morning and receive a great reward and a gift from the Lord this morning are the ones who humble themselves in the sight of the Lord and allow God to speak to their life and they respond. Let's not just do church this morning. Let's actually respond to him. Whatever he's spoken to you about. Whatever he's spoken to you about this morning. If you find yourself lacking in any way regarding your faith, you know that God is intimate. You know that God is able to intricately knit his way into your heart and into your life. I'm going to give you this moment to pause and to pray and to just speak to the Lord in your own way. Lift up your voice. Just spend this time quietly before the Lord and then I'll close in prayer.
Father in heaven, thank you, Father, for your word, what you've written in your word, in your Bible, Lord. It's life-giving. It's the oxygen tank to our lungs, Lord. I pray, Father, that this morning does not go empty. That, Lord, as you spoke your word, that every heart and every head bowed before you would receive your truth. Let only you, by your Holy Spirit, break every pride, every resistance, every doubt, every confusion, everything, Lord God, that hinders us from receiving you entirely. Our Lord God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would humble us before you so that we can say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever it is you, you speak, whatever you say to our life, yes, Lord. And I also believe, Lord God, that you would empower us, cleanse us, forgive us, and set us free. Go, serve, love, give, and enjoy the life that I've granted you to have in me. Thank you, Father in heaven. We give you glory and praise. Thank you for loving us, for revealing yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.